Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you from up here. Uh, if you've got a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, we'll be reading verse 31 through Genesis chapter 12, verse 5. And if you're keeping count, we are concluding our sermon series on spiritual training this morning. And I trust that God has been developing your spiritual muscles through this series, strengthening some of those muscles that may have gotten flabby over the years, or shaping new ones that maybe you've never used before. And as that's happened, you may have developed some muscle soreness or even some muscle fatigue, much like the soreness that we experience when working our physical muscles. And that soreness can tempt us to stop training, to throw in the towel because the costs are outweighing the benefits. Let me encourage you to press on, to keep pushing, to keep fighting, to see how far that you have come. And to trust in the Lord to continue His work, to continue His training in you. And now this morning, we are looking at the final step of our spiritual training, missions. Now, for many of us, when we hear the word missions, we tend to think of overseas missions. We think of missionaries like Amy Carmichael or Hudson Taylor or Adoniram Judson. Those spiritually elite men and women who left everything to proclaim the gospel across the seas and across cultures. And yet the Bible pushes against the notion that missions is done by the spiritually elite. Far from it. Missions has always been accomplished by ordinary people doing ordinary things in the extraordinary power of God. Still others of us might think of missions as a department or a ministry of the church, like we would our music ministry or our children's ministry. Missions, then, is only for those who are interested in it or maybe who are skilled in it, perhaps those who just like going on mission trips. Again, the Bible pushes against such a mindset. The Bible does not view missions as a church department, but rather... It views it as a church deployment. How so? Let's look at our text this morning and find out. Again, Genesis 11, beginning in verse 31. This is God's holy word. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan, But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Let's pray for just a moment. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we thank you 
for Your Word, for Your Word instructs us. Your Word guides us. Your Word guards us. Your Word protects us. Would You fulfill all that is needed for us this day that we might grow in maturity, that we might grow in our mission as believers in Christ Jesus. We pray all of this in His glorious name. Amen. I still remember the very first mission trip I went on. I took a group of college students to Honduras in 2005, and we were working with a missionary who lived in the capital city, and his mission was to to reach young boys who lived on the streets, who were addicted to shuglu, who who had no hope for life beyond what they were experiencing in the gutters of those streets. And he sought to bring them into his home, to care for them, to educate them, to teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. We were sent there to get to know the boys and to work with them as they ministered on the streets. It was an eye-opening experience, to say the least, and was really very formative to, uh, to my own heart for missions. Now, when I agreed to lead that trip, I remember thinking how absurd it was that I had waited until I was 37 to go on my first mission trip. It wasn't like I hadn't had opportunities to go before. In fact, when I was in college, I had several opportunities to go on mission trips with our Baptist Student Union. And yet every time I was asked to go, I made up an excuse as why I couldn't go. The truth is, I was too scared to go, even for a week. I was too scared to venture away from the security and safety of home. Now, my wife, Denise, she didn't wait as long as I did. She went on her first mission trip in college. In fact, she spent a whole summer in Amsterdam working at a Christian hostel. She was part of a team from Wheaton College that was sent to engage in evangelism with travelers to that hostel. When God called her to go, she didn't hesitate. She had no fear. And to this day, she would say that that summer was likely the most formative, the most life-shaping experience she'd ever had. Now, this idea of sentness, this idea of being sent, really gets to the heart of missions. To be a missionary is to be sent out. It's to go. This year, we've sent out three daughters of this church as missionaries. We sent Hattie Eshelman around the world, exploring God's mission in a variety of contexts. We sent Ashlyn to North Africa where she is befriending Muslims. And finally, we sent Tessa Sidner to the Black Forest Academy in Germany where she is serving students. And while that is so exciting, is that the extent of our missions? Is it just the humble few that God is sending out or is it bigger than that? Well, the answer, of course, is that it is much bigger than that. The Bible's view of missions is one that includes you and me. It involves you and me in our everyday lives. Now, while I pray that God would raise up more of you to be sent out for God's global mission, my greater prayer is that God would deploy us for His mission right where we are. That we would live with a mission mindset right here. Well, what does a mission mindset look like then? What does missions in our everyday lives look like? Well, from our text, we see three things that I think form a mission mindset. The first we see is that we are a sent people and not a settled one. 
Look back at verses 31 and 32 of chapter 11. We read that Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now, we're not told why Terah initially moved his family out of Ur. People move for all sorts of reasons like war, famine, or even marriage. But a move like this was no small feat for someone who was as wealthy as Terah. Canaan was a thousand miles away from Ur. And so to move his family, his fortune, his vast flocks would have been a very dangerous and very arduous journey. It would have taken likely up to a year to complete. Considering the threats to their safety along the way, this didn't make much sense. And so knowing all of that, why then risk such a move? Well, it's entirely possible that he wanted to run away from the pain of losing his son Haran, which we learn about in verse 28. Too many reminders of what had been lost there in Ur. Then there was Sarai's barrenness. Her barrenness would have been interpreted as divine judgment and brought shame to her and the family. Two pretty good reasons to leave and get a fresh start somewhere else. But behind these things was a God who was calling. A God who was sending. A God that Terah and his family did not know and did not worship yet. And this is the way that God works. He sends His Spirit to work in the hearts of men, women, and children who don't know Him yet. He calls. He changes often without a person even knowing it. And yet He does so without violating their will. When this family arrives in Haran, which is about halfway to Canaan, they stop. Actually, they don't just stop. The text says that they settle there. It seems that everything Terah might have been looking for in Canaan, he finds in Haran. No need to continue on this difficult journey. No need to subject his family, his fortune, or his flocks to potential threats. No need to go on, especially since Terah's ancestral roots are right there in that area. In his mind, he was home. It was time to settle. But Terah failed to realize that the missional call of God is to go where we are sent. The call on Terah's life and family was to go to Canaan. But he stopped short. He stopped for something less. He stopped for something safer, for something easier, for something more manageable. How tempting it is to forsake God's call of being a sent out people. How easy it is to let our busy schedules, our distracted lives, our materialistic pursuits crowd out our call to be sent out. To let our insecurities and fears convince us that it is safer to settle than it is to be sent out. And you may be wondering, how am I supposed to then add one more thing to my full schedule? I'm killing myself trying to provide for my family, trying to care for my body, trying to even serve the church. Where am I supposed to find time for missions? Now, if you're asking that question, I have good news for you. 
Developing a mission mindset doesn't mean you need to add more things to your schedule. It's actually letting God reorient your schedule. It's seeing your schedule altogether differently. It's seeing the grocery store as a mission field. It's seeing Starbucks as your mission field. Your workplace, your homeroom, the gym, everywhere you are is your mission field. So how might you engage with that mission field? Let me give you an example. When you go to the grocery store, get to know some of the employees. It could be the produce guy. It could be the checkout gal. Begin to ask them about their work. Ask them about their family. Or even better yet, ask them about their tattoos. I have found that people love to talk about their tattoos. Every time you go, make a point to stop for a few minutes and tell them what a great job they're doing. Or ask them how they're doing. Or even ask how you can pray for them. Think about all the places that you go in a week and begin to ask the Lord who you can strike up a conversation with. It could be a coworker, a fellow student, a barista, or even your trainer. This is the work of mission. It's not adding something else to your schedule. It's making the most of your schedule. It's trusting God that He has sent you to that place for His mission. And He will honor your work. And I can tell you that this was one of the most effective ways that God grew our church plant in Missouri. Having these kinds of interactions with people on a regular basis was both meaningful and it was very effective in reaching them for Christ. And so as you think about your sentness, do you identify more with Tara and his desire to settle in? Have you retreated to the safety and security of your personal comforts and family connections? Or have you embraced your sentness like Abram? Are you looking at the different places and people that God is sending you to as your mission field, as your place of sentness? What exactly then will your mission be? What is God sending you to do? Well, secondly, I think that we are called, we are sent to bless and not to curse. We are sent to bless Lynchburg and the world, to be a blessing to our neighbors across the street, across town, and across the world. But with what? What are we to bless people with? Quite simply, the blessings that we have received from God. Now, the word blessing is one of those biblical words that the English language stumbles over mightily. It struggles to capture its meaning and essence. The most helpful definition I have come across for blessing is this. Blessing is defined as the tangible touch of God. It's the tangible touch of God. So in blessing Abram, God is intending to provide tangible touches of his power, his grace, and his love. To shower uh, Abram and all those who will come through him with blessing. Now, when you consider what happened prior to Genesis 12, the idea that God would want to bless anyone or anything is astonishing. In chapter 3, we see the rebellion that brought sin into the world through Adam and Eve. In chapter 4, we witness the grievous murder of Abel by Cain. 
In chapter 6, the wickedness of man is so pervasive, their hearts so far from God, he wipes them off the face of the earth. Everyone and everything except Noah and his family and the animals in the ark. And in chapter 11, we read that Noah's descendants rebelled against God's command to fill the earth and to subdue it. And so he confused all of their languages and forced them to disperse. That God desired to bless anyone, including Abram, is mind-blowing. It is staggering to consider such grace, yet it is in God's nature to bless. It is His nature to flourish His creation. And here He chooses Abram to be the object of His blessing. But not just the object of His blessing, the vessel through which His blessing flows. He says in verses 2 and 3, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The intent of God's blessing is to flow through Abram. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. So how does God intend to bless Abram? Well, God promises a land from which his mission will flow far and wide. He promises a nation that will be great in number and influence, a nation that will flourish, and through its flourishing, others will flourish. And finally, he promises a name that will be above all other names, a name that will last and be remembered forever. We should not miss what God is doing here. Do you see it? He is speaking into the ache of Abram's and Sarai's heart. You see, each one of these blessings is pointing to one thing. A son. A son whose progeny will fill the land and bless it. Who will push that blessing out into all nations so that Abram's name will be known and revered. God would take Sarai's barrenness and turn what felt like a curse into a blessing. And you know what? God does the same thing for us as well. You see, the blessing of Abram isn't just the birth story of Israel. It's the story of Christ and His church. For Jesus has taken the brokenness and barrenness of our life. He has taken lives that have been ruined and wrecked by the curse of sin and death. And He has brought the blessing of eternal life to it. How did He do that? He did it by inserting Himself into that brokenness and that barrenness. By becoming one of us, born in our likeness, so that through his obedience in life and in death, he might atone for our sin. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that righteousness we receive, it's not just positional righteousness. It's not just a right standing before God. It's also a personal righteousness. It's a righteousness that we are called to influence the world with. As God's blessings to Abram were meant to pass through him, so too are God's blessings to pass through us as well. And that certainly begins with the gift of our salvation. While God has saved us from our sin, He has also saved us into a family. 
A family where gratitude is expressed and demonstrated by helping lead others to Christ. This past Wednesday evening, the session and pastors had the opportunity to hear the testimonies of our officer nominees. Nominees that you will be voting on at the December 8th congregational meeting. We sat for three hours listening to story after story of how God came to rescue the souls of these nominees. Each testimony was filled with gratitude for what the Lord had done to draw these people to Himself. No two testimonies were the same. And it was so encouraging to hear of the Lord's faithfulness. To see these trophies of grace standing before us. I wish you could have heard their stories. But more than that, I wish our non-Christian friends and relatives could have heard those stories. To hear how God can humble a man to the place where he can see his need of Christ. To hear how Christ can redeem a life that is broken and lost. To see how he can set a life free that is bound in addiction. It is this gospel, this good news that the world needs to hear and we are uniquely positioned to tell it. But the world doesn't just need to hear it. They need to see it. They need to rub shoulders with you and me and experience it. The gospel is often best caught before it is taught. I wish I had time to read the opening of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which Pastor David used as part of his assurance of pardon. In verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, we see Paul's heart exploding with gratitude as he recounts God's blessings. He rejoices that we've been chosen and adopted by God. That in Christ we have been redeemed by His blood and forgiven our sins. And that we have been received, we have received an eternal inheritance in which the Holy Spirit has been given as a deposit and a guarantee. So how does the world experience such a gospel blessing through us? Well, the fact that we have been chosen by God, adopted into His family through no merit of our own, well, that frees us. It frees us from having to prove ourselves or be right all the time. It empowers us to treat others as more significant than ourselves. Our ambitions are turned towards helping others succeed. And the fact that we have been forgiven An insurmountable debt of sin frees us to forgive those who sin against us. It also makes us aware of our own sin and seek forgiveness from those we sin against. It also frees us to stop keeping a record of wrongs done to us. And the fact that we have a secure and eternal inheritance frees us to be generous with our money, with our time, and most of all, our lives. It frees us to care for widows and orphans in their distress. When the world encounters such blessings, they are blessed. They are receiving tangible touches of God's power, His grace, and His love through you. And yet there are times when we lose sight of those blessings. When the reality of our adoption or the forgiveness of our sin fades into the background. Like the parable of the unforgiving servant, we forget the extraordinary debt that has been paid on our behalf. When that happens, we find it difficult to bless others, especially when they dishonor us. In fact, we want to curse them. We want to write them off. But that belongs to God. 
we must continually train ourselves to keep God's blessings at the forefront of our hearts and minds. We are sent into the world to bless it with the blessing of God. There is one final aspect to having a mission mindset. Yes, we must see that we are a sent people and not a settled one. Yes, we are to see that we have been sent to bless and not to curse. But thirdly, we are sent together and not alone. You'll notice that Abram never lived out his sentness alone. Look in verses 3 and 4. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. God's mission is always best served together. The call to blessed, the task of extending the tangible touch of God in our community, it's not meant to be done alone. Consider that Jesus gathered his band of disciples together. And when he sent them out, he sent them at least out two by two. Paul had Barnabas and Silas and John Mark and Epaphroditus and Timothy as his companions at varying times in his ministry. When churches get planted, it's often a small community of people that come together. They band together to reach into their mission field. They're looking for shared opportunities to bless a school or to bless a neighborhood that is under-resourced. And they do it together. That's why our partnership with No Walls Ministry is so important. We receive the blessing of working with churches that are different from us culturally and denominationally so that we can bless our city together. And in doing so, we provide a compelling witness of the power of the gospel to unite us as one. Only Jesus can bring people who are culturally, racially, and socioeconomically different and make them one. We are better together than we are alone. Another way we are better together is supporting foster families. In a moment, Lori Flowers is going to share an opportunity for you to be a part of a Fostering Hope care community. This is a way for us to come together and support foster families in our congregation, to let them know that they are not alone, and to help support them as they seek to be a blessing to foster children. Where is God sending you today to be a blessing? Where is He calling you to extend a tangible touch of His power, of His grace, and of His love? If you're not sure, let me encourage you to do two things this morning. The first is to pray and ask the Lord to help give you a missional heart, a sent-out heart. If your schedule needs reorienting, ask Him to help you do that. If you're not sure what opportunities already exist in your life to be a blessing, ask Him to show you what those opportunities are. And secondly, ask the Lord to send you someone who can share in your sentness. Maybe it's a spouse or a co-worker or a workout partner. Someone who can labor with you as you seek to live out missionally. May we as a church as an expression of the body of Christ, may we all know God's blessing together as we seek to live out our sentence in Lynchburg 
and the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call on our life to be sent out. And we see it so beautifully mirrored in the reality of Christ being sent to us, sent into the midst of our brokenness and our barrenness that we might have life through his death and his resurrection. And, oh, Lord, would that great blessing spur us, encourage us, and empower us to live on mission in our everyday lives. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here who desire to do that. Would you encourage them towards that? And for those, Father, who are struggling with this, who are wrestling with this, would you meet with them? Would you show them how they are a blessing to those who are around them? We pray that you would do this for the fame, for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we make this prayer. Amen.